0: Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Let's dive into the Word today. I can't think of a better, a better thing to do as we pray. You know, and some of you throughout this service, you may feel burdened to continue to pray. I encourage you, do that. You can always listen to me later, but if the Spirit's talking to you now, Respond. But if you wail, we'll have to take you to the lobby, okay? Okay. (laughs) Today, um, we're going to continue on our series of flourishing. And today, we're talking about flourishing in the call. How many of you have received a call from the Lord? Wave at me if you have. What was that like? I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. I want to talk to you today about flourishing in the call. And let's begin. Jesus came to us as a truth and the light. This is the truth. This is the thing in the room that unites us all. We all come from different backgrounds, different struggles, different guilt, guilties, that's not a word, different difficulties, different things the Lord has brought us out of, but the one thing that unites all of us in this room is the truth we needed a savior, right? You and I needed a savior. Our sinful choices separated us from God and we were never gonna make it. We would never have access to the Father like you experienced this morning apart from Jesus. Like in 1 Timothy 2.5, there's only one mediator between God and man, that's a man, Christ Jesus, right? So I have to understand where I am positionally in God. Like where I am, I have to understand that to be able to respond to the call to go where he is. The truth is Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is what? Life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If this doesn't Compute, it's not a part of the gospel message that we're sharing. We only emphasize how great your life's going to be with Jesus and how blessing will follow you and his love will fill you. And we stop there because we we could. It's overwhelming when we think about all the amazing benefits that the Lord pours out on us. But we aren't telling the whole message. And even worse, we're missing out on the exquisite beauty of the full gospel message. Psalm 103, verse 3. I love this verse, it says, "'You kissed my heart with forgiveness "'in spite of all I've done. "'You healed me inside and out from every disease. "'You rescued me from hell and saved my life.'" It didn't say, "'You rescued me from a mundane and ordinary existence. "'You rescued me from hell and saved my life "'and you crowned me with love and mercy.'" We needed a savior. And I think it's critical that we remember, you know, we were adopted into this kingdom, but we can't forget where we came from. We can't forget what our life was like before we met him. The truth, we needed a savior. Living a better life or trying to have better behaviors, not enough to earn access to the father. There's so many benefits to following him, but at the center of it all, he's the reward. If you've been touched by Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. You know that when first love cools, if we let that light grow dim in our lives, we return to the comforts that the world used to offer us. But once you've really been touched by Jesus, those things just don't satisfy anymore. The things we used to run for comfort, not even sinful stuff, just stuff we'd run for comfort, maybe your favorite show or a book or the things that you fantasize about doing when you're too busy to relax. You find often that when you get to that place where you go on vacation or you hit pause for a minute, those things that you were hungering for didn't fulfill what you hoped in your high point of stress. They were disappointing. Favor, blessing, and increase are only amazing when they spring forth from connection to him. Without connection to the vine, our fruit withers. And there isn't enough career success or material wealth or even fulfilled dreams that can... Fill up, refill a bankrupt soul. Jesus said in Matthew 16, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Isn't it crazy that to say this, when I was growing up, this is what we said all the time. This is what we talked about. We talked about picking up our cross and following him. But if you go on Instagram or you you flip through the the, the preachers on those reels and things, you'll hear a lot about uh, how to be wealthy. That God wants you to uh, be successful. That people in the kingdom should have high paying jobs and their dreams all fulfilled. And, and am I against that? No. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have high paying jobs. I want you to have better jobs, and I want God to bless you financially. But all of those things cannot replace the central. Thing reason for why we exist. Right? We have to take up our cross and follow him. He says, whoever desires to save his life, Jesus said, whoever, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul. There's a hunger in you that will only be awakened and satisfied by God. No amount of self-love, I know that everyone talks about that, love yourself. No amount of self-love will ever bring you any life. There is only life in Jesus learning how to love ourselves. We hear that all the time now. Love yourself, live your truth, all of that. And we think that's where we're gonna find life. But we will never find life from within ourselves because of the truth. We needed a savior and life is only in Jesus. If we're gonna really love ourselves the right way, we have to watch how God loves us and allow the Holy Spirit to mentor us and show us how to love like God does because he is the source of it all, right? Love is not like a characteristic. It, it's a Greek mindset that like love and, and, and kindness and all those are attributes that we possess. But if you go back to the Hebraic understanding of it, it's a, it's a quality of, of what he is. So God isn't loving, he He. I want to say he invented love, but he didn't because he's always existed. (laughs) He is love, and he gives us that. And we see that expression in our relationships and our families and spread throughout the earth, even from people who don't know him. We still see the fingerprints of God everywhere because there is no love or life outside of the, the vibration of his voice. Once you've been touched and marked by Jesus, there is like this spiritual innate sense That action is required next, right? And sometimes this feels impractical when we, when we, when we have a touch from the Lord or when when He marks our life forever, we, we kind of ask ourselves, what do we do next? And I and I think part of that is because we've all been kind of raised on this on this narrative that the call is exclusive to a platform, but it never was. If you actually read in the scriptures, the call was never marking of someone who was meant to do something quote unquote great in human eyes or be received by large groups of people. The call was always when Jesus came to somebody in the middle of their life in the middle of what they were doing, in the middle of the ordinary, like Matthew, the tax collector, he came to them and he said, follow me. That was the call. He didn't say, follow me, Matthew, you're going to plant churches and everyone's going to know your name and people are going to be reading the books that you write for the rest of eternity. So come and follow me because it's going to be awesome for you. He didn't say any of that. The call was, follow me. It was never about somebody being necessarily just called to be in ministry. The call is when Jesus touched your heart and said, follow me. And that's where a lot of people false start or they they get tripped up because after they invite the Lord into their life, they have this sense inside of them that says, what do I do next? What do I do to do something great for the Lord? Or what do I do to stand in front of people and do something amazing? How do I honor what the Lord has done? And it's so simple that we get lost in the sauce. He said, follow me. That's it. Be like Jesus. I do feel like I have to put a little disclaimer in here. Not, not the follow Jesus part. You can keep that. Um, but the, can I just see, it doesn't have to be a big hand wave for a second, but just like a little hand raise. If you have felt in your life called to full-time vocational ministry in the church. Can you just hold for, hold them for a second? I just want to see it. I am not negating that. If you have this call, you know, because it can't be removed or shaken off your life. One of my spiritual mentors, Bishop David Thomas, stood in front of me in my first day of ministry school. This is really funny. And we're all sitting there kind of nervous, especially me, because I have not been exposed to y'all's culture. I mean, it's mine now, but like at the time it was like, to give you some perspective, I grew up that if you smile too much in worship or, <laughs> or dance, that wasn't, that wasn't good. So I go to this place where there's people with swords whipping them around and like, you know, we have a group of intercessors called the spies <laughs> dancing on the stage. You know, so it's, it's a lot to take in for a young guy, you know? So, but this, this charismatic culture... <laughs> Bishop stood in front of us in the school. There's about 16 of us. We're kind of nervous because it was a master's commission, which means you've signed your life away for at least a year of 70-hour weeks at the church learning everything, and you're not allowed to date and all this other stuff. It's crazy. But, you know, it was great, right? Because you and me ended up together, so it was a good thing. Um, but Bishop stood in front of us, and he said, who's called to full-time vocational ministry? I have the most important piece of advice for you. So, of course, everyone in the room is like, us. And he said, if you can do anything else, do that. <laughs> he said, and if you find that you can't do anything else, then you'll know you're called. Vocational ministry, serving the body of Christ, it's a, it really is a call and it should never be removed as a phrase that means something in that direction, the call for people to serve the body of, of Christ as pastors and ministers. It's really important, but it's not the only call. I think the call that applies to everybody is Jesus's invitation for us to follow him. But how do we follow him? We follow him by creating space in our lives to focus in on the voice that invited us into this new life. So now we enter into spiritual disciplines, okay? We're going on a journey here, so hang on with me. This is the, the meat in the front, potatoes in the back, I think, you'll see. Our spiritual rhythms and disciplines, do, they don't exist so they can increase our feelings of well-being. We're gonna feel better when we're in more alignment with who we are in Christ, absolutely. But a reason for why we pursue God shouldn't solely revolve around us. The Lord gave me this profound revelation the other day. I was sitting there and he said, Jay, you're not the center of the universe. I was like, what? (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) A message for you today you're not the center of the universe. Aw. I was with a good friend the other day, and uh, he said, no, no, I am. When I die, the story's over for everyone. (laughs) But we're not. He is. He's the center of the universe, right? So our prayer, fasting, worship, all the avenues we pursue God, they're not in place solely for our personal benefit. Although we get that in spades from the Lord. But all the ways we seek the Lord are designed for us to find him. It's so simple, right? We think about these tools are meant to beef us up, charge us up. We're going to be strong for the Lord and carry heavy weights and, and do things for the Lord in this kingdom. And we do that right? The Lord supercharges us to do all of those things. But these spiritual disciplines, the Lord didn't just sit from hev- in heaven one day with the Holy Spirit and Jesus say, hmm, okay, let's talk about spiritual disciplines. This will make them happier. This will make them feel better. So we'll just create prayer and worship and, and the written word of God and all of those things, and they'll figure it out. Yes, won't they, Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit says, oh, yes. I feel like the Holy Spirit has a wispy voice sometimes. But but that's not why he designed them. All of them are designed in mind for us to find him, to find God. Right? I think it's natural in life to allow those spiritual disciplines to be the primary purpose for us to be able to, to feel like we're heading in the right direction or that we're, we're hearing from the Lord to make the positive changes that we want to make in our life. And all those things are true. But the central vision, the central purpose of spiritual disciplines and seeking the Lord isn't so that we become better. It's so that we find him. Because you and I are not going to complete in the flesh what began in the spirit we have to come before the Lord with the understanding that our righteousness in the kingdom although we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling it's not something that you and I will ever be able to earn or deserve or to perform for we come before the Lord with the understanding that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him so these spiritual disciplines, we, a lot of us, you're probably familiar with this. You start a Bible reading plan, you get 20 days behind, and then you feel real bad about yourself. So you try to do like three days or four days, and you try to get caught up and check off your days in your app, and you're just, you know, full of shame. And then you start carrying this shame into the, the prayer room. The Lord say, Lord, I know I'm behind on that Bible reading plan. I know I'm behind on this, and I'm just, I'm so ashamed, and what a miserable wretch I am. And, and the Lord is wanting you to have a prioritization that the reason you go to the word is not because you are supposed to, and it's not because you want to feel supercharged or you want a weight taken off of your shoulders. If you feel a weight from that, it is because you haven't experienced the full redemption of the cross and what he intended for you. You see, every other religion in the world, you have to do something to be loved. You have to perform, but it's Only in Jesus, instantly, the second you turn your heart over to the Lord, the second you invite him in, you're redeemed. (laughs) Nothing else in place, nothing else you have to do, it's done. So the spiritual disciplines he put in place, it's not about us trying to chisel out a good enough walk with the Lord to deserve more of his glory. It is about finding him. Because when you find him, his glory is the express manifestation of his presence. It's who he is. And all of a sudden, When you experience that revelation, that touch from the Lord, you're looking at him, you realize all the benefits, even healing and breakthrough financially and restoration of relationships, all of that, they all pale in comparison. They all get chucked into the bin in the back where you put all those worldly comforts that don't satisfy anymore because you recognize that without him, none of that matters. Nothing matters without his touch on our lives. And when you experience the glory of God, it ruins you for everything else. It ruins you for the ordinary, not because we want to be special people, but because once you taste the real, once you taste the other side of heaven here, nothing else will ever satisfy. We love him. I'm not sure we always know what to do with that, though. But prayer, time with Jesus, his presence... This is the reward. It's not like our food to charge up. It's the reward. It is the privilege of sons and daughters to be with their father in a way that others will not. So I was gone, this is fun, I was gone for probably nine, 10 days. We drove to St. John, New Brunswick, Canada Initially, it was gonna be me, Ashley, and our three kids, which, you know, how many of you have driven 16 hours in a car with kids? How many did it in like the 90s and 2000s before tablets? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so it, it started that way, right? And then, you know, um, Steve and Cindy uh, wanted, agreed to come with us after we, we begged them, I'm kidding, we asked them. And then like the day before, my my two sisters-in-law and my nephew decided to come as well. So all of a sudden we were all caravanning together to Canada. And oh gosh, the first day, um, two hours in, Pastor Steve's back tire gets a nail in it and the tire goes flat. And so... We just happen. I mean, this is just something you expect when you travel with Pastor Steve. Like, we get off at the very next exit, which just happens to be a Super Walmart, which just happens to have a, a auto department that was still open. <laughs> I want to walk in that kind of favor. Anyways, so two hours later, they change the tire. We make our way, and it, it's a very long trip. And we, we get to to St. John and. Three days in, we we do amazing things back to back and I look over at Ashley and I say, what are we doing today? It's our fourth day there. And she said, well, that's it. We've done everything. (laughs) St. John is beautiful, beautiful, but it's like a very nice upscale like Parma area, but you never make it to the Target or the Starbucks or or, or, or the Chick-fil-A. It's just houses and houses. (laughs) We wanted to... uh, stop and get some bread. Ashley was raving about these rolls that she loved from childhood. And I was really excited because as you know, kind of a bread fiend these days, making lots of bread. And so we go to this place. I kid you not. It is like a vinyl sided little house in the middle of the woods. And we go inside, and it's like a drugstore. They've got like all the traditional candies, and you go to the back. And over here, there is a little nook, and, and by nook, I mean just like a teeny little bump out with like three big utility shelves of like giant eagle-level quality bread. Those roles were great, but I was just cracking up about that. But just, to, I just want to give you a little taste of the trip. But one of the cool pieces that we did do after that was Pastor Steve and um, Cindy wanted to take me and Ashley and the kids on a tour of St. John, New Brunswick, a spiritual tour where we could see the church that they planted and the house that Cindy grew up in, the house that Ashley was born in, Dr. Forgie's house, well, and uh, to see... Gosh, um, where else did we go on? Oh, the beach. Yeah, Bay of Fundy. It's not Sandy Beach. It is rocks, people. So you've got to wear your shoes. But anyway, Steve's taking us on this, um, on this journey and showing us, and we come by to where the church is, and it's so funny because you know how, some, how most people have a type about who they date in relationships? They usually have a type. Well, Pastor Steve has like a, a building type. <laughs> that he designs. And so we came up to the building. I was like, oh, Pastor Steve designed this building. You know? It's like the 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 grandpa of the Brunswick campus <laughs> building. Or the dad, we'll say dad. Sorry, Pastor Steve. Um, and we get there, and we happen to be able to go into the church, which, which isn't a church anymore. It's a Kung Fu studio. You know, probably the result of a lot of uh, intercessory prayer, right? Fighting the spirit. Kung fu took over next. The natural, reflecting the spiritual. And then there was also a a massage clinic. What do they call them up there? I don't know. It's like some physical therapist. So you go in, and they have a big counter. And Steve goes, well, that was where my office was. And we're walking through the building, and he they're, they're showing me all of the different places, uh, what the Lord did in the sanctuary, and it's not a Kung Fu place, but you could see it, like where the stage was, and we're walking through all this spiritual history. And, um, and I just felt really privileged because, you know, a lot of times when you have a pastor in your life, you hear those stories and you feel like you're there, that you're with them. You know the story. You can see it in your mind's eye, and you, you imagine, you feel this great sense of connection. But I felt really honored and privileged that I got to go around Canada and see it in person, And my point is, it's the privilege of sons, sometimes sons-in-law, to get to know the Father in a way that others may not. But you can't know somebody unless you sit with them. You don't know somebody, you really know them in the natural passing of each other in life, right? And you can't know God if you're just ships passing in the night. You can be saved by someone that you don't know, right? God forbid you wake up in a burning building, someone kicks your window down, throws you over their shoulder and takes you out, you can be saved. You you can be encouraged by someone you don't know, happens all the time, but you cannot really know somebody without making a connection where you sit with them. Do you wanna flourish in the call? Then we've gotta respond to the invitation to know Jesus, the truth and the light. And this is the truth once we accept him for who he is, the truth, the light turns on in our lives. And this is where, I'm gonna to touch on this really quickly. It's not on my notes, but I wanna to talk to you about it. This is where the fear of the Lord becomes really important Uh, How many have been walking throughout your daily life, work or school or whatever, and somebody says, but don't you fear the Lord? And I remember when I was in high school, I thought to myself like, well, no, I don't fear the Lord. He's my father. What are you talking about? (laughs) And then you understand as you mature in your faith that the fear of the Lord is paramount to being in friendship with the Lord. Why is that? It's because it's not until I know somebody for who they actually are, that I can honor them in that way. So the fear of the Lord actually protects us because once we see him in the enormity of his power and his might and his glory, and we see him rightly, not just as the loving father who rescued us, but the Lord who will come back riding on a horse with a sword in his mouth, that we see God and accept him in the full dichotomy of who he is. We see him that way that he can be our friend because it's actually damaging to us if we don't recognize him that way, because then if we don't understand who he is, we will treat him as common. We won't be able to receive from him at the level of where he is because we don't recognize that level. So fear of the Lord is paramount to friendship with the Lord because it's only once we understand who he is that he can reveal himself to us as friends, friends of God. The lights turn on. And we're able to see beyond the veil and understand with supernatural clarity the adjustments that we need to make to allow his spirit to freely flow in and through us. Jesus came to us as the truth and the what? The light. His spirit illuminates our eyes. Open up your Bibles to John chapter three. I'm gonna try to use my physical copy today. I don't normally do that, but I like it. One of my favorite moments in the whole New Testament is Nicodemus in night meeting with the Lord. I love that one. You watched it in The Chosen yet? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Now, now when I read this, don't be surprised if I say something really profound in the word and I read it and you hear in the background. Ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> Let's start in John chapter three, verse three. Well, I'll read you the part before it in verse two. And I'm reading the Passion because I just like it. So deal. Verse two, one night he discreetly came to Jesus as Nicodemus and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. No one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. And Jesus answered Nicodemus, listen, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can even perceive God's kingdom, they have to experience a rebirth. A rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for anyone to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. And Jesus answered in verse five, said, I speak in eternal truth. Unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom. For the natural realm only gives birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the supernatural life. So you shouldn't be amazed by my statement that you all must be born from above. For the spirit, wind blows as it chooses, you can hear its sound but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it's the same with those who are spirit born. I want to read you one of Brian Simmons footnotes about when it says the spirit wind blows. Brian Simmons was here for a conference a couple, a couple years ago, two years ago now, and a um, highly valued friend of this house. We, we, we honor him here. Uh, in chapter three, verse eight, this is the note he wrote. He said, the spirit moves you as he chooses and you hear his voice, but you don't know where he came from or where he goes. But in the Aramaic, it says the wind, the breath, and the spirit are moved by mysterious moods and in their own wonderful ways. When you feel their touch and hear the voices, you know they're real, but you don't understand how they flow and move over the earth. The same serious way is the way of everyone born by wind, breath, and spirit. Later in verse 12, it says, if you're unable to believe, Nicodemus, what I've told you about the natural realm, what are you gonna do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? There is a whole heavenly realm that we've been given access to that we can only understand by the spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 3, just hang with me. I'm going to read you a couple verses from 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 14. It's, it's, this is uh, talking about the Israelites. The Israelites, their minds were closed and hardened. For even to this day, that same veil, like Moses used to wear, the same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now... Whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. We need the truth of who he is to turn on the eyes of our spiritual heart and mind so that we can plainly see the heavenly realm through his truth, illuminated by the spirit in the word of God. This is how we flourish in the call, right there. This is the good news. We are saved. He rescued us from an eternity of separation from himself. Jesus is the truth and the light. Both are absolutes. There is no personal truth to be lived out. There's only the truth. Truth has a name and it is Jesus, if you were wondering. And he does not change. His truth, it's not fluid. It's not malleable. It's not adjustable. You can't customize it to your flavor, your preference, or your experience. It is. Jesus Received a message from John the Baptist early in his ministry, John's in prison. And he wants to know, is Jesus the Messiah? And Jesus answered, go tell him the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And this is the the most important verse I want you to hear today. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know, truth is offensive, Sometimes, but a lot of the time. Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace. He said that he, his coming's going to bring conflict and division, not peace. Those are the words of Jesus, not mine. Just read them right there. Jesus said, We're blessed when we're not offended because of him, right? We're called to live in his truth and light in the face of all the consequences, all the repercussions that freedom brings to us and the world reminds us. It's easy to be offended with God for what we think he allows or doesn't prevent in our lives. Bill Johnson said it so beautifully. He said, when we don't understand, we trust him with the mystery because he's good. At the end of the day, we're not gonna understand everything. We don't have the ability to understand all the reasons for why things happen the way that they do. But if we know that he's good, if we can live with our vision guided by the lens of his truth and illuminated by his light, then we're going to be able to trust him with the mystery. They say, live your truth and you will be free. If it feels right, do it. Live according to your feelings. Ugh, gosh, no wonder everyone's so confused. Can you imagine if you live by your feelings? I don't know about you, but my my feelings fluctuate. Like, I can be, like, totally fine, and then if I don't eat within the hour that I wanted to, then I'm not, this just blackout rage. And then the second I eat, it's like the Lord comes back into my life. And (laughs) can you imagine, though, living by those feelings? Oh, my gosh. Feelings make amazing passengers, but, man, are they scary drivers. (laughs) So can you imagine, I, I've spent most of my adult life trying to live not driven by feelings in the driver's seat. But now the message culturally is, if it feels right, do it. And that is frightening to me. I'm like, ah, don't. Can you imagine, not just you, with your with your unique parameters and the things that the Lord has put in you to not, to, you're gonna, for your own protection, you know that I must not say anything in the, in the moment with this person that I'm talking to. The Holy Spirit comes up behind you and goes, and your silence, people in the world, they don't have that. They've only got this, like, unearned confidence that they are right. (laughs) How frightening is that, right? To live by our feelings, no wonder everyone's confused. No wonder we have a whole generation being swept into confusion about who they are and what they are. You know, God already gave us the truth about what is male and female. Did you know that? He did it at the moment of conception. And if you need to hear science, I think science is just catching up with God, to be honest with you. But, but science tells us that at the moment of conception, there's a unique, not able to be replicated DNA code written. This is before any formation happens. This is right at the moment of conception. Right in that moment, the DNA code's written, and whether a baby is male or female is determined at conception. I think God writes beautiful, Perfect code. And the only question I ask you, because it's a hot topic to, it's a hot topic to, to bring this up. And one of the reasons why I don't always love it is because if you go on Instagram right now, you will find people who are boldly talking about this out with, without a hint of the love of the Father in their tone. And they like to talk about hot topics and issues for the reaction or to be right or to get followers, or to really stick it to the person that they disagree with, right? And a lot of these people, they don't have a covering, they don't have people that report that the Lord's given for them to support and pastor there's not the local church element. We need each other, right? We need the friction. If you look around the room and you see someone you don't like, amen, you're doing it right because the Lord wants us to be in connection with people who rub us the wrong way. Something beautiful is created in that tension, right? Something's beautiful about the issues and the things that we have to work out. And so when a leader gets behind their phone and just rattles off how they feel about an issue and they don't have this this dynamic where they're accountable by the people that they lead I don't think that is New Testament leadership and so here we are digging into this and my question for you is does God make mistakes after thousands of years of humanity has God suddenly started making a sense about the core of who we are and what we are people like to read scripture with flavor right comes across, happens with me too. We emphasize and we, with our tone of voice, we articulate things that aren't in the text sometimes, right? It's a feeling that you get. It's like when somebody says to you, have you ever heard this? If you follow me, you'll obey my commandments. So that pretty monotone, right? Somebody, someone might say to you, if you follow me, you'll follow my commandments. Like there's a threat to it. If you love me, you'll follow my commandments. But if you read it, with the spirit breath, it's just truth. If you love me, you'll follow my commandments. You'll do that. So what I'm asking from you is the the scripture passage I felt like the Lord led me to. Don't hear it like the world would spin it. Here it is, it is, the truth, no accusation. If there are differences between truths, if you have a truth and I have a truth, Either there is no such thing as truth or you're wrong. I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> but somebody is, right? Somebody's wrong. Somebody's lying. There can't be different versions of the truth. T- I have to break it to you. There is truth, and that means there is one thing that is right. There is not a million different approaches of my truth. If you live with a whole generation of people living out their truth, that's a very scary society because it doesn't stop at people saying, I want to live this way or in this lifestyle or I want to I be a different gender. Or, I want to live in a Lifestyle, lifestyle, want to do all those things. It doesn't stop there. It goes beyond. Because if you take that mindset and that theology further, then people can commit atrocious crimes and it's just their truth. You can't erase absolutes and still have a moral high ground. There's just no way. And even if you try to do that, it's just games with language at this point because the Lord's truth will endure forever. Grass withers, the flower fades but the word of the Lord stands forever, right? So we gotta get comfortable. Yeah, you can applaud that, it's good. We've gotta get comfortable with it being able to speak the truth, but to not do it from a posture of trying to be right or trying to be ragey or try to like control, but just as as what it is, we're just speaking the truth. Because if we abdicate in this moment and we don't speak truth in love, silence sometimes is passive agreement. Right? So this is my scripture the Lord like led me to here for people who ask truth for what happens when we begin to question those core fundamentals about who the Lord has made us and what we are. Isaiah 45, verse nine. says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible would it be if a newborn father, baby, said to his father, that'd be weird, newborn father. I guess Jesus kind of was. Why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. Can we speak the truth in love? Or are we too afraid to speak truth and let the light illuminate the darkness? Scripture doesn't promise us a life that's easy. Doesn't promise us that we're gonna be rich or popular. But like we talked about earlier, once you've really been touched by the Lord, none of those things matter to you anyways because he's the goal. And anything great is worthy of sacrifice. Jesus came to us as the truth and the light. We live in his truth and we live in his light and we become the truth and the light to the world around us. You're ambassadors, representatives of Jesus. And that's how we flourish in the call. I'm gonna bring this in for Landy. Why don't you stand up with me today as we... we're going to flourish in the call by living in his truth and his light I wanted to close today by telling you a familiar story that you've probably heard and maybe even heard from this pulpit I'm going to ask our ministry teams to come forward too and we'll just get set up for for closing around the turn of the 20th century there was a group of missionaries and they became known as the one way missionaries when they departed for the mission field they packed all their belongings in a coffin and they bought one way tickets because they knew that they would never return home A.W. Milne was one of them and he felt called to a tribe of headhunters in New Hebrides you know all the other missionaries to this tribe had been martyred can you imagine what that must have been like imagine you go back to your your house your apartment you're standing in your room and the lord's called you to one of the most dangerous places on earth and you know that's where you where you go. And it's not like you are walking off to your death or you're walking there in fear. You know, the Lord has asked you to be there and there's this revelation being downloaded to you about who Jesus is, that if he was willing to lay down his life, if he was willing to give up his seat in heaven to come and be one of us and, and die and experience what it's like for every one of us and then be resurrected, then how could I not give him everything? What greater honor could there be than to go where he asks me to go and say what he asks me to say. Imagine that you're sitting in your room, but everyone knows that you're never coming back. So your friends and family bought you a coffin and it's in your living room and you have it open and you're packing your clothes and your books and your belongings, the things that matter to you most. And when it's finally all packed, you shut the lid of the coffin and they wheel it out. And as you're you're going off in the ship, you know, looking behind you, that you're never going to come back. And the only thing you're taking with you are a few belongings and and, and the vessel you, for your burial and you're walking forward into the call knowing that there is no going back. It's that scripture lived out, the plow burning behind and never looking back. Milne got to New Hebrides. Every other, every other missionary was killed. But he found Favor and he lived among the tribe for 35 years, never returned home. The tribe buried him and wrote the following words on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. That's our call, to be the light in the darkness. Jesus said, your lives light up the world. How can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would hide a lamp and hide it in an obscure place and of its place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father who is in heaven. This is the call. This is the moment Jesus called us out of darkness. Our call is simple. It's not about finding a job. It's about Jesus' invitation, follow me, and to become the truth and the light to the world around us. This morning, as I close, I'm gonna to have to fly out of here to Middleburg in a second. If there's something resonating and stirring inside of you, I believe today, even as I was sharing that story about Milne and packing the coffin, that the Lord was reminding some of you about what that means to you and what he's asking from you. But if there's a a fresh commitment, a fresh desire to surrender it all to Jesus, to say, Lord, I want to live in your truth and your light. I want to flourish in the call that you have over me. I believe that inviting that kind of repentance is going to turn the lights on in some of your lives to some of the dimly lit rooms in your heart, the things that, that you've been kind of feeling around and feeling uncomfortable about not knowing what to do next, that the Lord is bringing light and clarity to those things. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hands up before the Lord, and I want to pray for you that you might receive a revelation of His truth and His light in a new way today. So if that's you, go ahead and raise your hands, and I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would awaken our hearts. God, that we would flourish in the call by understanding that you are the truth. You are the light. God, you're calling us to be the truth and the light to the world around us God that people might say about us when we leave this earth that when we arrived there was no light but when we left there was no darkness not because of something great that we did or something amazing that we wowed people with but simply we were willing vessels of your message Lord that we didn't have to come up with something cool or creative or trendy but just to stick to the message that has shaped the foundation of the earth and changed lives from the very beginning that the lamb of God was sacrificed and slain and resurrected so that we might have access to the Father and that humanity might be restored. Father, we repent in our hearts right now for any deviation from that message. Forgive us for the places where the call has been about something that served us or something that we needed or something we wanted to just encourage us, God. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace that even though those things encourage us, you are the ultimate source of all life and everything good, everything we need, everything we we desire is found in you. Lord, I just invite you here today to fill every heart, touch every mind, and release heaven on earth. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite Michael or Joel, whoever's coming up. We're going to minister to you. I'd love to open up these altars. If you want um, prayer ministry for this, I believe that God will also continue to just download things into your life. But love you. I just pray, Father, that you would bless everyone here today to be hungrier than they ever have and to understand the revelation of flourishing and the call is living in your truth and light. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com give.